what you're doing, what you started, what you are busy with in our community. Thank you for just everything that you, you have given us, or everything that you've done for us. Oh, thank you for new faces, for new voices, praying, for trusting you, for stepping out. Thank you for people coming back that haven't been in a while. Thank you for people just stepping into the fullness of what you have. Thank you for people dreaming again of life with you, of a life transformed by you, of miraculous transformation for their life, Lord. Thank you that you're a God that we can, we can trust, we can turn to, we can treasure. Thank you for what you are doing. Lord, continue to lead this morning. It's you that we want to hear from. It's you that we want to connect with. It's you that we need. In Jesus' name. Amen. So today, uh, I want to talk about us. Imagine you could be happy. Imagine you were happy. I, I think there's, there's, there's joy, there is happiness. But when we get alone, we... We're insecure, we're we unhappy, we're fearful, we're worried, we're not sure about the future, we're not sure about what's happening with our, our kids, our spouse, our future spouse, our want-to-be spouse, or our, I don't want-to-be spouse. And, uh, um, but what would it take for you to truly be happy? If God asked you, like, what would it really take for you to be happy? I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, but I, I think we're stuck in a, in a spiral of discontent in the world. And I think it's, it's, it's just something inside of us that we, we're prone to wonder. We're prone to like distrust. We're prone to find what's wrong, whether it's with church or government or our jobs or our spouse or our future or ourselves. Or we, We're good at spotting the flaws and we're good at mentioning like that's what's wrong. And we're good at saying like, Hey, that's what's broken and that needs to be fixed, but not by me. And, and then we're not sure where to go and how to actually solve those problems. And there's, there's external factors and then there's our internal factors and then there's just our temptations. And I want to go through just a couple of stories about like King Hezekiah from Isaiah 36 to 39. And this is three powerful like just testimonies in his life and how God comes through for him and how God sets him up and he establishes him and he he was an incredible ruler he was a reformer he was a um he was the king he was somebody who re-established and he restored like the the um the purity of the nation of israel he took out some of like the the idols and he set up like the places of worship again and he brought purity and it's, it's almost like he was coming into church and saying this is how we do this right Let's put the Word of God first. We want to put the, the things in place in our life. Was he perfect? No, he wasn't. But when you see some of like his story, it's, it's quite amazing. Um, I don't know about you, but I sometimes read and you hear stories about like Assyria and Babylon and these guys and this king, especially the kings. It's like, I don't have a clue who some of these kings are. And it's like, this guy seems to be okay. And then he does things that are wrong and... So sometimes you hear like 
where is Assyria, what is it actually doing, who are the people of God, how are they supposed to be. So this is just a map um, of the Middle East. It's like the time is about 940, no, not 949 BC. That's about Israel at its, like its greatest, it's like its, its biggest time. Um, but where we're talking about, this is kind of what happened to the Assyrian Empire. So this is who's coming to attack Hezekiah in Isaiah 36. So you can see it, it's, it's, it's quite, a, quite a size like, difference. So, and this is what it actually ends up as. So Israel has been broken up. You saw that there was Israel there and then Judah. Like the 10 tribes have been taken over. They've already been conquered by Assyria. So this is where they're at now. This is Assyria taking over the world. It's like world domination. And Hezekiah is here and this is what's happening. This is, just sets the tone of where we're at. They're this tiny little nation state, pretty much like locked up just in like Jerusalem. And they're behind the walls and a guy comes out to them and this is what he says. Basically, in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And the king of Assyria sent the Rabshakeh from Lachish to King Hezekiah, Jerusalem, with a great army. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And there came out to him, Eli- what, Eliakim, Eliakim, say confidently, <laughs> the son of Hilkiah, I didn't read this out loud, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, I promise I read this, but not out loud, <laughs> and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. And the Rabshakeh said to them, say to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, on what do you rest your trust of yours? Do you think that mere words and strategy and power for war? In whom do you not trust that you have rebelled against me? Behold, you are trusting in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff, which will, um, which will the hand of any man who leans on it, like, which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it. Moreover, is it without the Lord that I have come up against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. He's like threatening them. He's like, you're going to trust in Egypt? Egypt is a broken reed that as soon as you put your hand on it, it's going to pierce your hand. And then he goes on and he actually says, you know what? The Lord put it in my heart to come and do this. And you read the Bible and it's true. God raised up Assyria to actually come and bring judgment on the nation. So it's like he's saying, you guys aren't powerful enough. You you can't stand up against me. Literally, he says, like, I could give you 2,000 horses. You don't even have enough men to put on the horses. It's like, I'll give you the weapons of war, and you still can't beat me. And the funniest is, Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah said to the Rabshakeh, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. Talk, talk to us in your language, because we understand it. Do not speak to us in the language of Judah, within the hearing of the people who are on the walls. Because if you talk to us in, like, um, in the language of the people, they're going to hear and be terrified. It's like, no, 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 talk to us in your language, it's fine. Hezekiah says to the people, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. With, his arm, uh, with him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. In one sense, he's incredibly like courageous and he's like, hey. So that was actually from two chronicles where Hezekiah speaks to them. But in Isaiah, he actually takes the 
the word from this Rabshakeh. As soon as Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes, covered himself in sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna the secretary, and the senior priest, covered with sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. They said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of distress, of rebuke, and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth, and there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord our God will hear the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, sent to mock the living God, and will rebuke the words of, that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. When the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the young men of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his land and I will make him fall by the sword uh, in his own land. An amazing thing, he does actually go back. So it gets even bigger and worse and then Babylon eventually takes over. But we've actually got record from Sennacherib's prism. It's like another record where it talks about the same battle where even in Sennacherib's like history, he tells of this story, he tells it a little bit different. He's like, ah, I locked him up like a bird in a cage. And he's just like, he doesn't tell the fact that he couldn't conquer him. So we've even got proof from like um, the Syrian like history that this was what actually happened. And God sends out like his angel and he like destroys 185,000 men that causes Sennacherib to actually say, you know what, okay, let's, let's pull this back and come back. And he, he actually ends up dying because his sons kill him for the throne and then they run away and it gets all messy. But Hezekiah was incredibly smart. We've got record of him actually taking um, one of the rivers and designing it and almost like getting this underground river so that's the source of water. That's why they had this internal source of life inside the city where they could actually be sustained. And it's just this incredible picture of, I don't know, almost God providing and Hezekiah putting the right things in place so that he could practically have a, have a life that stood up to this. But then miraculously, he turned to God in his moment of need. When there's this external force, when there's this, there's this violent thing outside of them that these people are coming to try and attack them, and there's this external opposition and fear, he had an internal source of strength, of life of water of life that they could withstand like the opposition of the enemy. Even though the enemy was coming and accusing and threatening and barking and there was fear and there was fear and there was fear and there was fear and there was talk about our country and there was this and the enemy's coming and accusing and accusing and accusing because he had an internal source of life, he could actually withstand it. Like we know that then he prayed. We've got the word of God. We've got a source of life that God wants to place inside of us. But we have to like almost partner with him to put the right things in place like Hezekiah. As he puts the right things in place, the worship is in place, the, the, the trusting God is in place. We get on to the next one. It's like, where does he turn? Isaiah 38. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die, and you shall not recover. This is the same time. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. So 
in Isaiah like 36 and 37, we see that he trusts God. Yeah, he actually turns to God when he's faced with the internal like challenge of his health. Please, O oh Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah whipped, wept bitterly. And the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. And I will deliver you and the city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend the city. This shall be the sign for, for you from the Lord, that the Lord will do this thing that he has promised. Behold, I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz turn back 10 steps. So the sun turned back on the dial, then it's 10 steps by which it had declined. It's like most people will write that off, that it's like, it's a sign that literally God can turn back time. It says, actually, I can promise you that I can undo whatever internal wrestles you are facing. Whether it's your health, whether it's your insecurities, whether it's the trauma you faced, whether it's how you have been hurt, whether it's the things that you have done, that you have hurt other people, whatever it is you have done, God can bring healing and transformation. Amen. Whatever you have lost, and there's a sign that God can do this, is that He is powerful enough to turn back time. Uh, I think in song lyrics a lot of the times, like if I can turn back time. It's, <laughs> but it's like, I, I don't know, it's all of these things, like these phrases get stuck in your head that actually when we are faced with opposition, when the enemy is coming out and saying, you can't do this, you can find shelter from the storm in God by trusting him. When you are faced by that internal challenge again and that accusation or that hurt or that trauma of like, why did I have to go through this? We can turn to God and say, God, you know who I am. You know what I've done, good and bad. Hezekiah is not trying to say like, oh, you know, I've been a good oak, like kind of just help me here. He's like, God, you know me. You know what I've done. You know what I haven't done. I'm trying to just be a faithful king in this time. Would you give me more time to actually do this? And he gives him 15 more years. There's something about like God had a plan for him, like he was going to die. And then with prayer, he transformed the future. If you can change the past, you can change the future. You can change your life. It doesn't matter what you're going through. In 39, he goes on. and At the time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, the king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah. For he had heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly. And he showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole army, and all that was found in the storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Just doesn't sound wise as a king, but it's like, hey, look at what I got. Look here, look here, look here. But, and Isaiah comes to him and he's like, what are you doing? One, like, why are you showing them all of this? You, you've just been threatened by Assyria. Like, Babylon might be this nation far away because you can kind of see it's just, at, the, at this time, it's, it's basically like this. So there's like Judea, there's Assyria, there's Babylon down there. And he's like, wow, they're no threat. The problem is that 100 years later, this is what it looked like. So Isaiah says to him, it's like, you know what you've done? <laughs> you've kind of caused this to happen to your sons. And Hezekiah 
like this is where he, he betrays himself a little bit. He's like, well, at least in my life it's going to be peaceful. <laughs> He's like, hey, cool. <laughs> He's like, yeah, but do you not realize your sons are going to be taken, over, taken to Babylon and they're going to be eunuchs in the king's temple? And he's like, well, in my life there's going to be peace. And yeah, <laughs> not his finest moment, but he's also like, I can kind of understand. It's like when we're trying to, to face like our internal, our external demons, our temptations, it's like, what do you treasure? So those are like my words for today. I'm like, it's like, what do you trust in? Are you trusting in Egypt? I think there's something of Hezekiah. He's trying to partner with Babylon to say like, hey, this is what I've got. You, you can trust me. We can, we can partner against Assyria. But in trying to actually partner with Babylon, he creates his own demise. Because it's like trying to partner with Egypt. Egypt is like representative of the power of the world all throughout the Bible. And God, like there's still that temptation now where it's like, I know it's not the right thing to do, but it kind of gets me out of this bind. Like whether it's a, a bribe or a cutting corners or lying here, it's like there's a temptation where it's like, ah, everybody's doing it. It's fine. I can make this little compromise here because that's really going to provide me a future. And the, the, the reality is it's like, actually, we can't. We need to trust in God no matter what it looks like, no matter... If there's this giant empire that's coming against us, he can save us. If there's an internal challenge, whether it's a health issue, whether it's a personal struggle, whether it's something you've struggled with for five years, 10 years, 20 years, I don't care. God can bring freedom. He can bring healing. He can bring breakthrough. He can set you free so that you can actually imagine what life could be like and you can dream of a future of where you can be happy. And then, just so happened, I've played this song, and God kind of used it to speak to me. So it's like four minutes, so we can listen, you can read the words, um, and then I'll help connect it to what we've been talking about. Imagine if I was happy, and what's actually holding us back from that. This whole passage of Isaiah 36 to, to 39 um, is positioned in Isaiah right in the center of it. It's like, has all the brokenness that's gone before. And Isaiah 40 starts, comfort, comfort my people. Because it starts giving us the answer. It starts showing us just what God is going to do about the situation. That he's starting to bring healing. That he's starting to say that actually I'm not going to break even a bruised reed. I'm going to start restoring and I'm going to start bringing healing. And the whole picture of the Bible is this in-between story. Where there's brokenness but there's hope. And there's like I'm trying to dream of the life that I could have. And there's something inside of me that is drawn to, to love and to enjoy and to appreciate and to, to love people. But then people are the biggest cause of evil and brokenness in the world and there's a there's a time at the world like genuinely people are it's far easier to get them on board with supporting like an animal rights campaign than to fight for the rights of human beings it's like not like humans that it's because there's there's a naivety that we we think there's um there's a purity about animals because they don't know better 
But the reality is that's exactly what Jesus said about us. It's like, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. So this whole message is to like the people that are in, in between. It's you and me and us. It's like the kingdom has broken out, but we don't see it fully yet. I was listening to a preacher the other day and he's talking about unity in the church. And it's like, oh man, I, I was drawn to it. But he's saying, like, if you don't long for unity in the church, there's nothing I can do. If you don't see the kingdom and the beauty of it, I don't know what I can do. I want to embody it and I want to imagine it and I want to put it before your eyes that imagine a kingdom. Imagine a life living in a community that is the fullness of what humanity can be. Beauty and love and creativity and compassion and care. Imagine a church like that. What it's going to take for a church to be like is that it's going to take individuals being like that. Like I I can't fix you like as much as I want to because I can't fix myself. Like we have to, we just look at God and we say, God, we need your healing. We need your transformation. I see what you're doing and I'm starting to dream of what it could be like. We long to be happy, but our insecurities, our brokenness, our hurts, our pain get in the way. It's like issues I won't address, demons I should put to rest, trauma that I can't forget, phone calls I've been avoiding, insecurities I haven't dealt with, pride I haven't confronted. It's like all of these things are, are getting in the way of you actually being happy. It's external conflict. Sometimes we can't fix the, the problems of our country. But we can together have a community where, like, man, we can face this together. The best way to prepare for the future of whatever comes in the world, South Africa, is having a community around you that actually knows you and loves you and cares for you and carries you. Because together we're far stronger, we're far cleverer, we've got far more resources. So we need church, we need community, we need family, we need friendship. On our own minds, I'm not clever enough to come up with all the truth of God and to understand and interpret scripture. I need guys around me. I need quibbles to help me. I need my dad to help me. I need people to embody it perfectly. You don't need to know the whole Bible to love people. Some people are far better Christians and they can't read because they love God and they love people. They have been captivated by the story and the picture and the pattern of Christ that has led to a life of love. That's what we're longing for. A church that loves God and loves people. Amazing thing is that like I was struck by that. Where do you, like, what do you turn to? What do you lean on? You lean on the ways of the world that pierces your hand. And then it's Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. And it's like he took all of that weight so we don't have to lean on the ways of the world anymore. We lean on him where he has actually been pierced for us. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I believe this story of Hezekiah and the restoration, you've seen the enormity of it. 
of this Assyrian Empire coming against basically like one city or like a fortified tiny little nation and God protects them. What would that do for the people that are in that nation? It's like you had written it off. We're done for. These guys are coming for us. We've got no hope, no joy, no plan for the future. It's, it's like don't even speak to us in our language because we're going to be terrified. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, of Jerusalem, we were like those who dream. Then our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. We are joyful. We can rejoice. We can dream again because that's our reality. The enemy wants to try and think of us as that tiny nation that's just going to be destroyed when the reality is we have already won. He has already protected us. He has already given us an eternity that is secure and prepared and he's already strengthening us so we can actually rejoice and we can dream of being happy again. What is it that you actually face every day that is too big for you? What is it you feel called to, but you can't actually achieve it yet? You can't do it alone. This whole in-between is trying to show us that in our own strength, we can't do it. Almost the whole Bible is basically that story. It's like from cover to cover. It's like, you can't do this alone. No, we can do it. You can't do this alone. No, we can do it. No, we can. And then it's like, God comes through for us. And two steps later, it's like, God, where are you? It's like, did you not see the 10, 10 plagues that kind of got you out here? No, but actually Egypt was pretty good. We had onions there. And <laughs> like, anyway. Since the whole thing is we, we tempted to try and do it on our own. But Jesus says in John 15, it's like, actually, apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you abide in me and my word abides in you, that word is is not just the Bible, that's my message, it's my logos, it's, it's me. That is what we preach, that is what we long for. We, we preach the message of God because we take that with us. The message of Christ is what transforms people. The beauty is we've got it in the Bible, we've got it in the, in the scripture, but God wants to place it inside of you, and you are already placed inside of him. And then that brings transformation. He's like, he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. We make a, a big distinction between happiness and joy. And, like, fair enough, you can make that distinction. But God wants to place a joy happiness and excitement imagine the life that you can actually live imagine the future he has for you imagine the future he has for your family when God restored the fortunes of Zion we were like those who dream those who dream of a future dream of a future for you he wants to bring healing and transformation Part of it comes through us actually, like I shared the other day, is, is going into the darkness of our life and the places that hurt the most, the phone calls we don't want to make, the insecurities we don't want to confess to, the sin that we don't want to stop. 
like the power that we have in actually confessing that to somebody else and helping the church and God's truth to come and bring healing. Even if it is just the acceptance of somebody loving you in your brokenness. Can you imagine what lepers used to feel in Jerusalem, in Israel's time, where it's like this disease that you had nothing, there was not like you caused it or anything. But because of that, you were literally labeled unclean, kicked out. That same feeling is, I think, what we feel deep down when we think about our sin and our brokenness and our failures. I was confronted by an interesting thing. Hezekiah was 39 years old at this time. <laughs> I'm like, wow, he was king of like Israel. He restored this. He had done this. He was trusting. So I'm 39. And it's like, you know, when, when you're young, it's like, oh man, he has lots of potential. And as you get older and you haven't really achieved everything you've dreamt of, like that, ah, oh, he had lots of potential just means failure. It's like, because you haven't achieved anything. You haven't like stepped into that potential. You haven't actually like made something of yourself. And it, it can be like this thing of like, actually every, every time you look at your life and it's not what you thought it would be or what you dreamt it to be. And you, you look at all the failures, it's, it can cause you to shrink back. And it's like, it places all of that weight of that insecurities on you. And it's like, man, God, I, I know that other people feel like this because that song came out two weeks ago and it already has about 7 million views on YouTube. It's like already up on like number 54 on like the billboard chart in like one week. And I won't be surprised if it skyrockets all the way to number one because it's tapping into the depth of what we are wrestling with and saying, God, I don't even know if, like, most people are thinking, like, I don't even know if you're real, but I'm, I need something. The world is lost and desperately searching for a way to fix their problems. To answer, like, what do we do? Where do we go? What are the next steps? Jesus' answer is, abide in me. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as you have kept my Father's commandments and I and abide in His love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He was pierced for our transgressions. We're going to have communion now because that's the way we remember that this is what shapes our identity. We have communion once a week, yeah, because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of what I've done for you. What Jesus has done has changed our futures, it changed our identities, it changes our challenges, our problems, our issues, everything can get dealt with if we remember what he's done for us and how despite our pain, despite our brokenness, despite the fact that we've made mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake, he still loves us, still cares for us and he's trying to shape us into a a new identity. Think of Paul's words. I keep asking. I keep asking that God would reveal himself to you. 
that you would know who he's trying to shape you into. He wants to actually make you like Christ. He wants to shape your identity from the inside out. He wants to get you to learn to love God and to love people, to conquer those inner demons, to conquer that insecurity, to bring healing from that trauma and that pain. Not to belittle it, but that depression that you feel like you can't tackle this anymore. He wants to bring hope and freedom and a clarity of mind. Most people, I think, we're struggling with something like depression, but it's actually just the problems seem too big for us to face. But with God, He can destroy the Assyrian Empire and He can send them back. And He can turn back time and He can undo the trauma that has caused this hurt and this pain. So Jesus, I thank You for your body, I thank you for your blood. I thank you that we get to do this in remembrance of you. I pray for anybody that feels isolated and just insecure that they can't speak out. I pray that you would connect them today. You'd connect them to you. You'd connect them to somebody, a brother, a sister, a, a father, a mother, to walk alongside, to care for them, to love them. I pray that you bring healing and transformation, Lord. It's only when we see you that it, our shackles fall off and our, we are set free. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Speak tenderly to Trinity Central. Speak tenderly to my people and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sins have been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice calling in the wilderness. And, Uh, Calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall be made level, the rugged places a, uh, a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. We were like those who dreamed. Lord, I pray that you would do that. Cement that in our hearts. Bring transformation, bring new vision, bring new understanding, bring new identities. Connect us to you. Connect us to a a self-worth that doesn't need to be propped up. It's not a plaster or a bandage over wounds. I pray that you bring healing, healing to those wounds. There may be scars left over, but those scars become our glory. That actually, as you showed us the wounds, the scars in your hand became the testimony of what God had done. I pray for healing in lives transformation i pray for hope i pray for dreams right now of the future in jesus name